The Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 860 for Monday, March 8th, 2021. To the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your tips, your questions, your cool stuff found. Then we come together, we try to answer your questions, we share your tips, we share your cool stuff found. The goal is that every single one of us, you, him, me, we all learn at least five new things every single week that we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Babbel.com with promo code MGG. Audible.com slash MGG, Kitty Poo Club with promo code MGG, and BB Edit from Barebones.com. We'll talk more in depth about each of those shortly here. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Trueville, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. You know, I when I've realized that I'm still not used to you saying 2021 because I time the firing of the theme song based on my expectations that you're going to say 2020 and there's no extra syllable there. So uh, I, I timed okay today. I didn't cut you off with the theme song, but it was close. But um, I got to get used to that. I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, I, I need now I need to listen back to recent episodes. Have I been saying 2020? <laughs> you probably would have caught that if I did. Right. Uh, I think you did once and I let it go. OK, well, I appreciate that. Thanks. <laughs> Just the once, though. Right. You wouldn't let it go more than that. Yeah. Well, you know, that's how it goes. Shall we uh, let's get into some quick tips here. I love quick tips They're They might be my favorite part of the show because they're so efficient about us learning our our new things. Brian sends in one. He says, I've long been frustrated by having to take multiple steps to eject external drives with multiple partitions, uh, clones of an APFS system with multiple volumes and multiple hard drives, which contain a mix of partitions or volumes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. When you click eject, it pops up a dialogue and asks you if you want to eject just that one volume or all the volumes on that same physical disc. Uh, he says today, after selecting a mixture of drives, partitions, volumes to eject, I decided to use command option E and voila, everything was ejected immediately. I know there are apps for granular control of mounting and unmounting volumes, but I found this simple solution to be perfect for my needs and thought I'd share it. So yeah, command option E, that's great to know. I deal with that all the time. Like when I want to eject my clone drive, but not the, you know, data like, or, or whatever storage volume that I have on there. So yeah, command option E that's great, Brian. Thank you. Did you know about that one, John? No, but I found something a little different. Okay. Um, so it, it made it, I have one network drive, the, uh, the Drobo that every time I try to eject it, it always comes up and says it's been used by the finder and I got to wait a while. And I'm oh, like, man. Okay. Um, but if you hold down option, and in the file menu, you will see um, the eject message change. If you hold down option, it changes it to the highlighted driver. At least it did on my other machine. It's that makes sense. Part. But Right. But uh, no, apparently there are a couple of different flavors of eject. Because I found doing that where it changes from eject to eject name of drive. That always seems. Right. 
It seems to work better. So it ejects it the first time around. Eje- yeah, it ejects it without eject, and it doesn't eject. Yeah, without fanfare or anything like that. Ah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So the option key seems to be the uh, the trick there. Very cool. All right, sweet. Thanks. Uh, we talked in a recent episode about our ways of sharing and controlling uh, someone's screen remotely, ideally for tech support, but really for anything, obviously. And, uh, and we talked about how to do that with Apple's apps, uh, specifically with messages and the built-in screen sharing in Mac OS. And we have two quick tips about that. So Mike shares the first, he said, uh, One thing I wanted to point out was in your description of how to use it in the messages app, you talked about having to click the down arrow on the name button, etc. There is an easier way, and I don't think you've mentioned it before. With the conversation highlighted, John's mom's conversation, for example, a simple right click or control click on the recipient's name in the conversation list on the left hand panel will give you the same share screen options for anyone eligible, i.e. iMessage user. Obviously, it won't work for our green bubble friends. The second part, uh, oh, and yeah, 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 okay. Then then there's other stuff that we'll talk about later. But yeah, that's a great little quick tip, Mike. Thank you. So just clicking right there in the thing, I can choose to share the screen. That must be a, I'm not seeing that on Catalina. So that must be a Big Sur thing, John. Um, I, I cannot see it on Catalina here, but soon I think we'll be able to move our podcasting machines to Big Sur and maybe then we'll see it here. Okay. So are you seeing it on your Catalina machine or no? <clears throat> no. Okay. All right. Do you have a Big Sur machine right there or no? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can take a peek. Okay, cool. Um, another way of doing this courtesy of listener Bruce is um, he says uh, Apple has a built-in solution for Macs, the screen sharing app. If you know the Apple ID of the Mac you want to view, and if they're logged in with that Apple ID, you can request permission to share their screen with the Apple ID. Once the target Mac user has clicked the allow button, you're in. One caveat is that the screen sharing app, and and to be fair, the screen sharing app is the one that runs when you do this from messages or if you share to one of your own machines locally on the network or whatever. It's, it is it is an app called screen sharing. Uh, but as Bruce points out here, one caveat is that the screen sharing app is not in the applications folder. Uh, you can use Spotlight to find it, though, and then add the icon to your dock for ease of use later. So you launch the screen sharing app. And sure enough, when you launch the screen sharing app, it it pulls up a little like the only dialogue you get is a place to enter either the host name or IP address of the Mac or the Apple ID, which is pretty cool. So thanks for that, Bruce. I wonder I wonder if I put in my own Apple ID, would it let me screen share back to like my own Mac in the office or something? I'm going to need to mess with this. Right? What happens? Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's my own Apple ID, hmm. I don't know, John. We'll have to find out. Maybe somebody out there will know. Feedback at MacGeekab.com. He said feedback at MacGeekab.com. I did. I said feedback at MacGeekab.com. All right. Any more quick tips, John, or should we move on to some cool stuff's found? Cool stuff. Cool stuff's. Okay. Tony brings us 
an app. He says, uh, you were recently saying that you didn't really see the utility in apps that track things that you've done. Let me give you an example of their use. I use an app called Hindsight to track things like the last time I talked to my son or my brother. Time tends to get away when little changes from day to day. I hadn't intended for that to be a bit of poetry, he says. Uh, however, Hindsight also tracks the number of times things are done. For example, I use masks that are washable for up to 30 times. Every time I wash my mask after I get back home from being out and using it, I log an event in hindsight. When I hit the 25 mark, I retire that one and start anew. Why do I need an event tracking app? Because I often have days where I don't go out, so the mask doesn't get a wash on that particular day. Another example is that I use a nasal spray for my allergies. It has 120 doses, and it's difficult to tell how much is left. I log each time I use a spray, and I know when I'm getting close to reaching the end to pick up a new bottle. Yeah, that's great. I have that problem with Flonase too. It's really hard to look at the bottle and see what how much is left. In fact, that reminds me. Usually I would have started uh, my springtime Flonase regimen ahead of going to Austin for South by Southwest. But I'm not going to Austin for South by Southwest this year, John. So <laughs> I have not done that. I do get to attend remotely. There's actually some cool things. So, uh, but yes, uh, not uh, not in person this year. Hopefully next year. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure where you interpreted that we didn't see the utility in apps that track things done. I am, I am notoriously someone who keeps a to did list. So if I do something, I put it on my list and cross it off because I find that, um, that seeing the progress or things that I've done motivates me to do more. So that's, it's a little brain hack. The to did list. We talk about it a lot on the small business show at businessshow.co. Uh, any thoughts on that, John, before we move on? Of course, we'll have a link to in the show notes. Nope. Okay. Uh, Kelly Gamont pointed out a great little thing called Groovebox.org. It is essentially a web-based Spotify-like thing. We're essentially a music streamer uh, in the web for all the music that's on archive.org. So all those free uh, shows, it's a lot of free live shows. In fact, if you search for Hypnotic Clambake, yes, that's the name of a band, from the in the fall of 1995, so that'd be September, October, uh, I think it was when the tour ran. Uh, I think there's two or three shows that we played, and that, that, that those shows have me playing the drums. So uh, you could use that because that they're up on archive.org, but there's all kinds of live shows and other content out there. And groovebox.org lets you just listen in your browser. You don't have to download and play and all that good stuff. So very cool. Thank you, Kelly. Good stuff. Right. Do you mess with archive.org at all, John? I know you're a, a dead <clears throat> fan of sorts. So I know that. And they have tons of dead shows out there. Um, when I want to see an old, website sometimes oh yeah so right so archive.org has a lot of different things and they have old websites too this is obviously for the music that's out there but yeah mm -hmm. yeah pretty good pretty good all right um i have been you know air quality is well it's always been an important thing uh but even but now perhaps even more so given the the uh, germs that might exist in the air and I've had this little thing, John, called the it's from a company called Keysmart. It is the Clean Light Air Pro. Uh, it's a portable air purifier and it uh, it's literally like the size of a coffee mug. It's tiny 
and uh, it's filterless. You don't have to buy replacement filters and it's got an air quality monitor on it. So if you're in an area where there's like, you know, smoke or, or pollen or, you know, whatever it is, it will tell you uh, how bad the air is. And then it, it obviously as it starts filtering the air, the number comes down and it goes from blue to, I think like to yellow to red. The battery lasts like four hours. Uh, They've got a little cup holder attachment for it that fits in my cup holder in the car. It, it's amazing. I, w- I brought it to the theater with me to have in my little drum bubble uh, that I that I live in when I go play the show uh, at the theater. And I noticed one day I was playing. I'm like, wow, I you know, I, I, I don't know what I did today, but I'm like aerobically. I'm feeling really good. Like I'm having no trouble like breathing or anything. I was like, oh, wait a minute. It's that little air filter. And sure enough, yeah, it makes it makes a difference. It really it really does a good job kind of clearing up the air. So anyway, cool stuff found. Yeah. So there you go. Good. Yeah. Any any thoughts on that, John? No, that's cool. Uh yeah, UV light kills things. UV light, yes, it is a portable <laughs> ionic UV light air purifier. It's not inexpensive. It is two hundred twenty bucks, but Oh, I um, see. Yeah. And now what is what I'm trying to figure what that number is that it's showing you. I think it has something to do with density of particulate matter. I can't quite make up the unit. It is. It's the AQI. um, Oh, okay. Yeah. I've seen that number. Correct. In uh, Apple Maps, I think. Okay. Correct. Yes, exactly. So handy little thing. Not too bad. So I've been kind of keeping it. I just keep it in like one of the pouches for a water bottle in my in my backpack. I bring it to my, to UNH when I teach there too, I put it on the little uh, lectern mm-hmm. next to me. So, you know, clearing the air. Of course, we're all wearing masks and everybody's obsessively tested for COVID and all that stuff, but still, you know, not bad. Um, my son texted me this morning and asked if I knew about a command and the command is NC from the terminal. Uh, he's been doing a lot of stuff with the terminal lately, John. In fact, he just finished a, a, a segment in his computer science class on doing a, a assembler, believe it or not. Uh, now, I guess it helps with theoretical compiler design, things like that. But anyway, uh, he asked me if I knew about a command called NC, which is, um, I, I don't know what the, I don't know what, I guess it's network connect. It just connects to network ports. I, I don't know that I ever knew about this command. It's it's part of the you know default set of commands on Mac OS, of course, in in the terminal. But he sent it to me with a, uh, a a destination host and a port number. Now the port number was 23, which is the Telnet port. But of course, Telnet has been deprecated and since removed from Mac OS. I used Homebrew to install a version of Telnet in case I want to connect to network. Uh, devices directly at a certain port, but NC, it seems will do that. And if you connect to the host that he sent me, which is towel.blinkinlights.nl, and we'll put all this in the show notes uh, on port 23, the telnet port, you will get a full ASCII version of star Wars. And it's really well done with text and some graphics and all of that stuff. I think this has been there for a decade or decades but uh, but you can access it with the NC command or, of course, with Telnet. You can just Telnet to towel.blinkinlights.nl and, and it will start the movie for you. No, no sound, but, you know, the dialogue and, and things like that happening. So pretty cool. So I didn't know about the NC command. Uh, did you know about that one, John? 
Wow. Oh, and the man page is awesome. So they, they show you how you can uh, forge a, an email by talking to an SMTP server. Right. Um, they're not telling you to forge it, but the example they give kind of makes you aware of. Okay. Yeah, sure. How, it e- how easy it is to set the from address on an email. Right, right. Uh, and port scanning. Oh, it has a little port scanner too. Wow. Oh, look at that. Nice catch. Oh, yeah. Right. This yeah, is- no, port, port scanning. Now, that's big fun. It's a good way to bring it, bring attention to yourself, or at least I found out back in the day. Well, it depends on what you're port scanning on. I mean, if you're port scanning on your own machines, it's fine. <laughs> I actually do yeah. that a lot. Yeah, this well, was somebody else. Yeah. This was somebody else's, so. <clears throat> that's pretty cool. It could be, it could be taken the wrong way. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Good. Hey, um, iMazing 2.1.3 adds M1 Mac DFU restore to its bag of tricks, which is super handy. So you've long been able to do DFU restore on iPhones and iPads. And now uh, iMazing makes it easy to do that from one Mac to an M1 Mac, which could be very, very handy if your M1 Mac gets itself indoor, if you get your M1 Mac into DFU mode. So iMazing is the trick for that. Just file it in your head and, uh, and, and hopefully you'll never need to use it, but you know that some of us will. So yeah, pretty good. Uh, it's amazing thinking of all, like as soon as I saw that, I was like, of course there's a DFU mode because it's just like, an iPhone or more like an iPhone or an iPad pro really is probably the closest analogy and the closest device. I should say not really an analogy. All right. Uh, thoughts on that, John, before we move on, you know, I did something with iMazing the other day that you may want to think of as well. So uh, okay. I use iMazing to back up my iDevices. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those backups uh, can get large, especially okay. when you keep, like a month's worth of them, which is what I had my machine set up for. And I was concerned because I saw disk space disappearing. Yeah. Um, uh, if you do have, a, so the tip here is within iMazing, there's a place where you can set how long back you wanted to uh, archive backups, if at all. Uh, and so I set it to two weeks and it purged the, uh, oh, great. the older stuff. Good. And now I have enough free space where I'm not worried. <laughs> That's good. I have had a problem with iMazing. I've got a, a support request into him to try and figure it out. But I, my battery life on my 12 mini has been non-optimal. And it just feels like it's constantly being tasked with something. Hmm. But of course, the battery uh, report doesn't show me any apps that are, you know, obsessively using the battery. So mm-hmm. I started to wonder about iMazing. And I went in and turned iMazing for that device to only back it up when it's charging. Uh, you know, you can set it to back up when the battery's above a certain number or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, I said, no, only back it up when it's charging. Great. Two days later, things hadn't gotten better. Two days later, I'm sitting at my desk and I see it just completed an operation and finished backing up that device. I see an alert. I'm like, well, that device hasn't been on charge for like six hours. Why did it do that? And so I launched it and then it was backing it up again and I canceled the backup and it started again. So I quit iMazing and I sent in a support request. I took some screenshots first. 
then I, then I quit iMacing and sent a support request. So something is funky on my machine. My guess is this is not an issue for everyone, but um, yeah, anyway. So I'll let you know. I'll, uh, hopefully we resolve that. Uh, the OWC USB-C travel dock is my final contribution to cool stuff found this week, John. Uh, I, I mentioned I've been teaching at UNH and one of the things that I do is I bring my laptop there. I connect it to an HDMI splitter that sends, you know, an HDMI signal from my M1 laptop to, uh, to actually three screens that they have in the classroom all showing the same thing, which is fine. And then also to one of these things called an owl. Uh, if you've never seen one of these owls before, it's about the size of a sort of a large water bottle. It It's fat and looks like an owl. It has what look to be eyes on the top, but it is a panoramic 360 degree view camera, microphone and speaker built exactly for what we're using it for in the classroom. And when you link it with something like Zoom, it's great because it shows you two views. You get the panoramic view uh, sort of across the top of the screen so you can see the entire room. And then it focuses a uh, a zoomed-in camera on the voice or where sound is coming from. So you get this constantly panning thing. It's great. That connects via USB. I have found that not all USB ports on USB travel docks are created equal. Uh, on my my Anchor little dock that I've had for years, it has three USB-A ports on it, and two of them will work with the OWL, and one will not. The OWL is self-powered, so I don't think it's a power thing. I think it's that some of these ports are are you know just not built to be as high-speed as others. And this is where OWC shines this is not an ad spot this is a dave uses this and thanks the 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 lucky stars that he has it because the usb a ports on this thing all work the way they're supposed to they just work and this is one of the things that that owc does they they pride themselves on making sure that all ports can be used at all times at full capacity so this is now the thing that i use at unh and it works fine and i don't run into headaches every time i go to plug things in so there you go the USB-C travel dock and uh i think it's like 55 bucks or something so it's got it's got uh hdmi two USB-A ports and USB-C power pass through as well as uh an sd card too so handy little thing that cable tucks into it travels nicely all right Anything else there, John? I got one. It's Go. Nice. Go. <laughs> you, oh, you have one of those. I thought you had a cool stuff found. I, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, speaking of sponsors, I want to talk about our, uh, our first two sponsors, if I can do that, John. Okay. All right. Notre premier sponsor est Babel. Or, in case you don't speak French... That means our first sponsor here is Pabble, the number one selling language learning app. And that's where I'm learning how to speak a little bit of French because, you know, we've got time and I figured I live, you know, not that far from where French is spoken just north of me in Canada. So why not? Right. And Babbel has made this easy because you can just do it with these little 15 minute lessons 
and it makes it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. Unlike the infamous language classes we all took in high school, Babbel designs their courses with practical, real-world conversations in mind, things that you'll get to use in everyday life. And with Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, of course, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. Start your new language learning journey today because right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's right, six months for the price of three. We like that. Just go to Babbel.com and use promo code MGG. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Code MGG for an extra three months for free. Babbel, language for life. And our thanks to Babbel for sponsoring this episode. Next up is BB Edit. I know, I know, it sounds crazy to love a text editor, but it's open on my Mac right now. It's open on my Mac downstairs right now. It's open on my M1 MacBook Air, running natively, I'll point out, right now. And that's because BB Edit has so much good stuff in it. It's not just for coding, although it's great for coding. Adam and I were doing some coding the other night, handing stuff back and forth. We could use BB Edit. It links with our version control stuff. It like It's great for that. Of course, syntax highlighting all of those beautiful things. But it's also got pattern playgrounds and grep cheat sheets so that you don't have to be as afraid of grep and regular expressions as I am. I know, I know, I have BB Edit too, that I have this irrational fear of regular expressions. We can get over this together and BB Edit's going to help us get there. And it truly has actually helped me because their pattern playgrounds let me go in and experiment with regular expressions in an environment that's not some wonky web page somewhere. Like I actually get to see it and do it in real time on my Mac. It's awesome. This could be a separate app. Plus, of course, you know, there's like all the other things that BB Edit does. Word count and document comparison and highlighting and all that good stuff. You got to check it out. Go to barebones.com, download your 30-day free trial, and uh, and go from there. You might find that the free features that you get past the 30 days are all you need. If not, well, then you pay for it because they make great stuff there. It doesn't suck, I've heard them say. Barebones.com, our thanks to Barebones and BB Edit for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, you want to take us to Phil? Let us go to Phil. All right. I can read Phil if you're having trouble finding it. No, we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> there we are. Okay. I'm going to start right. reading. Okay, you're good. <laughs> All right. Something happened this week that reminded me of John's issue with his old MacBook Pro mentioned in 849. Unauthorized purchase oddness. I was sending in my MacBook Pro to Apple for service and followed their instructions. I logged out of my iCloud account and I decided to delete my user account before sending in for repair. I always keep a totally clean admin account on my machines. One of the steps in Apple's procedure is, number four, deauthorize your computer for content purchases. And he links to a support article. That's about deauthorizing the computer from the iTunes store. I heard John say he followed the complete procedure, so maybe this doesn't apply. But here's the weird thing I noticed. When I opened the music app in the Totally Clean admin account and went to deauthorize the computer, it had knowledge of my iTunes Apple ID. You'd think that would be retrievable from a used clean account. Uh, 
password was still required. So that's another hurdle someone would have to overcome, as you mentioned in the show. Still, the iTunes login seems to have its own level of persistence that I didn't expect. Maybe there's a clue in this that relates to John issue for what it's worth. And actually, um, thank you for bringing that up. I did follow directions that uh, Phobio, who is the company that does this work for Apple, um, they have a support article. And it points to one Apple article that uh, is titled How to Erase an Intel-Based Mac. And buried in that, which I think I missed the last time around, uh, Apple has another probably more important article, What to Do Before You Sell, Give Away, or Trade in Your Mac. And one of the things they mentioned there is to do this deauthorization. Uh, and the reason I thought I mentioned it is because when I looked at my computers after this weird purchase, one of them... Uh, did still have that machine registered as a registered device. Interesting. Under my account. Interesting. Yeah. Oh. I think I've, I've, <laughs> I think I've, I've seen the last of the ghost iPhone eight. I think there was another <laughs> app that I ran and it listed the devices that had used it at one point. And it's like John's iPhone eight. And it's like, Nope, that that's gone. Please yeah. That's not it. That yeah, exactly. The list. Huh? Interesting. Fascinating. Good stuff. Yeah. 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 Signing out. Evidently, there, like I said, there's databases that Apple has that, that, yeah, definitely. It's not that, that you can't touch, at least not in an easy way. Would be really mm -hmm. nice to be able to just log in somewhere on Apple's site and clear those out. And you can do that with some of them, but not mm -hmm. all. Yeah. All right. Uh, we've got a bunch of audio questions this week, John. And so I'm going to pepper these in here. The first one uh, comes from Jerry. who says, I'm wondering if you know of any free recording apps that I could use to record webinars that I attend, but I need to be able to record them with my headphones plugged in because there's always a bunch of background noise and I want to hear it properly. Uh, the people that do the webinars don't always record them. So I would like to record them with my Mac. Do you know of any apps or are there any on the Mac, to, but I, uh, but it needs to work with my headphones plugged in. Okay. Yeah. So the, um, and, and his, the title, I think of his thing was uh, free recorders or something. So I don't know of any free recording apps, but um, Piezo is an app from Rogue Amoeba at $19, uh, not free, but it will do the job. And so we will, we'll put a link to piezo there. It's, it's a really simple, I call it audio hijack light. That's not entirely true, but it sort of is. It, it's a very, it's a, it does one thing, which is a subset of what audio hijack could do. And the reason I bring an audio hijack is if you've already got audio hijack, then just use that, have it capture the app that is, you know, that you want to, um, record and then put the recorder block in and you're good to go. You might, depending on the app, you might also need to put an output block in and send it to your headphones because when audio hijack hijacks audio, then it doesn't send it to its intended destination at times. And that's part of the way it works. So you need to then say, but also send it to my headphones and then it will send it to your headphones. So you can do both at the same time, but yeah, audio hijack. That's actually what it was originally built to do. It wasn't built for podcasters. It was built for people using things like real player that wanted to record shows and time shift them. That was its first use. So audio hijack and now piezo uh, would be the way to go. Um, 
QuickTime Player is free and it's on your Mac and it will record audio, but without something to grab the system audio, like a loopback or something like that, you're not going to, you, you could do this. So if you wanted to do, if I, if I were tasked with doing it, I would do the solution that I've already mentioned, 19 bucks and you're done. Um, if, if, if free was the most important thing I would do, um, you could do this. Uh, there's an app called black hole and I'm trying to think if you could do this for free. So, so bear with me on this. There's an app called black hole or a utility driver called black holes, maybe a better way to think of it. And what that does is it creates a virtual audio cable inside your Mac where you can sort of plug things into each other. What you would do is you would send the audio output from say zoom to black hole and now, because that's inside your Mac, you could record that with QuickTime Player because QuickTime Player would see the other side of Black Hole as a microphone. So you've created, like I said, a virtual audio cable. Uh, the only trick would be still hearing it in real time. Um, and I'm not sure how that's going to go. Um, so, yeah. Um Okay, so that and and I and I realize now you may also want to record the video of this, and if you want to do that, screen recording will do it for you. Uh, I don't know how long screen recording will go, so that might actually be your free answer: is screen record that that option, and maybe that'll do it. I don't know what what do you think, John? Will screen recording grab? audio and video for like an hour. Yeah, I was I was scratching my head over this one and <laughs> never got back to it. I I was starting to look at things, but no, you're right. The um screen recording the only source is your microphone, so that's probably not what you want. Right. And then, yeah, I was thinking I'm not aware of anything that would do both video and system audio mac, mac vader says screen recording will do it so no oh, right. uh so maybe that's the answer so maybe i overthought this no great surprise um but yeah yeah there you go so screen recording or something like you know screen flow uh would would definitely do this you know but i, I think the built-in screen recording according to mac vader at uh, live.macgeekab.com that will do it although yeah. he says he had well, to he use said yeah go ahead yeah well, yeah. So he said uh, he had, he had to use a plugin for to do something with sound. Now, I was going to ask. I don't think I use this anymore. But at one point, would loopback um, help reroute audio? It would. So loopback. So Mac Vader mentioned the plugin uh, was called Soundflower. Soundflower doesn't really exist anymore. Um, it Black Hole is sort of the free replacement for soundflower loop back is the commercial replacement for soundflower. Uh, oh, okay. so I, but Brian Monroe is saying that, that this is, this is doable with screen recording. So I would start there, try it, right? If that mm -hmm. doesn't work, then move to something like ScreenFlow If you want to get the, uh, the, the video with it too. So yeah, there you go. It's not going to be perfect though. It's not, it's, it's literally capturing the windows video, not the stream of the video from Zoom. So it it's not necessarily going to be perfect, but it'll it could be good. All right. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, see, it didn't go where I thought it was going to go. I like it. You want to take us to Todd, John? 
Todd. Yes. Thank you, Todd, for um all right uh todd has a follow-up here so uh on photos um his problem was uh so uh photos can identify people's faces uh and and apply a name to it um i don't know how it happened um but he had pictures of the same person with different names applied to them how do you deal with that right um, and he found, uh, and, and so he got back to us and said he, he also found on the Mac Photos app that you can select more than one person in the people pane, then right-click to merge two people where the two represents the number of people you have selected. That fixed my multiple people when they were the same person issue. So thank you, Todd. Interesting. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Cool. Cool, cool. Any uh, anything more on that? Or are we moving on? No, I had I, I haven't used that feature in ages. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, David has a question. He says a friend of mine gave me a record LP player that connects via USB, and what I'd like to do is use an older 2014 Mac Mini as a broker to my HomeKit enabled. Well, he said AirPods, which is one way to solve this, uh, but he, he wrote back in and said uh, his HomePod. So he wants to send it to either his AirPods or his HomePod. Uh, but I can't seem to be able to get the right secret sauce to making it all work properly. There are Reddit articles and other ones I found that seem to have a duct tape, duct tape and bailing wire approach, but nothing current. Okay. So step one would be to make sure that you can sync your either your HomePod or your AirPods to your 2014 Mac Mini. So just open up the music app or open up iTunes, depending on what version of Mac OS you have running and play audio. Make sure that you can direct audio to the device that you want it to go to. It should work, but you don't want to be trying to solve two problems uh, at the same time. So get that going. Once you get that, then the trick is to take the USB audio coming in and send it out to another destination on your Mac. And again, I'm certain I'm overthinking this, folks, but I would use Audio Hijack to do this. You would capture the device of the USB record player, and then you would output that to whatever device you want, your HomePod, your AirPods, or if you like, both. Uh, but that that's how I would do that. I don't. I looked around. I don't know of any apps. Now, there might be some that are purpose-built to come with USB record players or whatever to do this for you. But, uh, but I don't know of any um, that, that are just built for exactly that. So, so audio hijack to the rescue, but again, I'm probably overthinking it, but if you might, as you might start to figure out here, audio hijack is a very powerful little app to have around. If you have to do any sort of audio stuff on your Mac. So that and loop back together, pretty much, you know, do do what you need so anyway that's that's my thought on it i don't know if you have any thoughts john no no okay uh you want to take us to ian john yes thank you sir and here is ian and i'm prepared this time okay um (laughs) hi guys i was just listening to episode 858 and the problem that wolfgang had with with the hard drive being too full to delete files I had a similar experience recently. A work colleague was unable to boot up his MacBook Pro. It just hung after loading screens. I booted in recovery, mounted the boot drive, and found it had 26K of free space. 
I tried to delete some items in the trash using terminal and RM, but it showed the error, no free space left on device. SIP was disabled, so I was very confused as to the message. I tried single user mode and booting from a USB drive, but these resulted in the same error. Then from disutility, while in recovery mode again, I deleted the two gigabyte VM volume from the APFS container. Wow. That's smart. That. <laughs> okay. Um, this seemed to free up enough space to allow use of terminal and RM to remove some large files from a user's trash folder. After rebooting, the VM volume was recreated and everything seemed to work fine. I'm not sure how the system was able to get into a state with such little disk space available, but the user was running both iCloud Drive and Google Drive when the problem occurred. Interesting. Right. Wow. That's really smart. I, and I, I'm glad that Mac OS is robust enough to recreate the VM partition uh, or vo VM volume. I should say, I got to get partition. I got to make sure I use those terms correctly uh, to remove the VM volume or to recreate the VM volume. But the idea of removing it really smart because that's essentially temp storage, right? Uh, you definitely mm -hmm. don't want to try and remove that while the system is booted from that volume, from that, you know, drive, but uh, but doing it when it's not booted from it, it seems to be mm -hmm. fine. Smart. I like it. Right. But also VM gets recreated when you reboot the machine, right? Or deleted, I believe. Well, y y yes, but with Big Sur, v so with prior to Big Sur, VM was just a file in your, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, in your, in like private var VM, they would, it would create these swap file right. files. Right. And in big Sur, VM is on a, a separate volume, like, like Ian points out. So the, mm -hmm. the question was, what would Mac OS do when it booted and didn't see this mm -hmm. VM? It wasn't like he just cleared something out from inside the volume. He just removed the VM volume. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So right. I, yeah, my concern would have been, it just wouldn't boot. And then you're in some weird funk of having to deal. Well, with yeah, that. because it's like, where's that memory that was just here? Wh yeah. Where's the disk memory that was just here? Yeah. I know I made this. Why did you remove it? I, I would, cr I would just crash or recreate it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's not right. critical. I'm glad that it's robust enough to just rec recreate the volume. So that's good. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> fascinating all right good thanks ian excellent stuff um cliff has a related topically related question he says my current desktop setup is a 2015 imac with an external drive for photos and movies and a network wd book for time machine backups as well as backblaze for offsite great my issue is that my external drive spends what seems to be a huge amount of time being so busy it is very noisy I know there are various system cataloging processes like photos and Siri, but in spite of my amateur attempts to find out what processes, what process is making my drive so busy using activity manager activity monitor, I cannot seem to find the culprit. Can you help me with a tool or a method to find out what app or process is making my external drive so busy? Yeah. So I would do this with the terminals LSOF command, which is list open files uh, and then search. So you could just go to the terminal and type LSOF boom, and it will, it takes a minute to sort of go through everything and then it will list every process and what file it's touching. Uh, so you could then use the terminals uh, search command, you know, command F in the, in the terminal to search the backlog buffer 
for the name of your external drive. And that's probably the easiest way to do it. However, if you want to be a little more elegant about it, you can use grep, which I mentioned during the BB edit spot, but grep has a very simple thing here. You could do LSOF and then pipe the output to grep and use the pipe key, which is usually shift. And then the, the thing above the return key on the right side of your Apple keyboard. So LSOF space pipe space grep space. And then within quotes, the name or some fragment of the name of your external drive that will process the LSOF command. So it will take just as long and then it will pipe the output into grep, which will filter it out and only show you the lines that match whatever you told it. And that would be the name of your drive. Don't, you don't have to try and remember this. I will put sort of a, uh, an example grep command uh, with LSOF in the, uh, in the show notes for us all to have in perpetuity at MacGeekab.com. But, uh, but yeah, there you go. That that's how I would do that. John, would you do it a different way? Is there is there a better way, perhaps? Mm. No, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. I mean, LSOF works. I like it. Yeah, it's good. Okay. Um, while we're on the subject of using our external drives and full drives, Bob asks a question about something that's sort of been spinning around. Um, Bob asks, uh, have you seen the issues with M1 Macs and their SSDs being used at an alarming rate? So the issue came up when someone ran smart control which is part of SmartMon tools, which is something that you would install with Homebrew or some package manager at your terminal. And when you look at the drive, you will see uh, it shows you all kinds of so smart control just like barfs out what the drive reports to it. But not directly. SmartMon tools takes the data that the drive reports to it, repackages it into semi-human readable format and displays it for us. Uh, and when you look at this on an M on a well, on a recent Mac, not at not every Mac sort of reports slightly different data. And so smart tools packages it in a slightly different way. But when you look at this on a recent Mac, uh, there is a section where it says data units written. Uh, and that's something where people have been concerned because data units <coughs> Data units written on it starts to show you or shows you how much has been written to the drive and SSDs are notoriously limited and theoretically limited, I should say, by the amount of writes that can be done. There is a maximum amount of data or writes that can happen to an SSD before it stops accepting any more writes. So this has long been the concern with SSDs is you write to it too many times and it turns into a read-only device at some point in the future. On my four-month-old M1 Air, when I run this command, data units written says 13.1 terabytes. On my 18-month-old Intel iMac that's sitting in front of me here in the studio when I run this command, it says 42 terabytes. So that's a 3.3 terabyte per month average on my brand new Air and a 2.3 per month terabyte per month average on my Intel iMac. And people are concerned that taking these numbers at face value, there is concern 
that the M1 Airs or M1 Max in general are writing too much to the SSD. That might be what's happening. It also might be that their smart data is either being reported or interpreted incorrectly. We have, you know, we are going by one set of data interpreted by one tool and because we don't have other tools and we don't have another set of data. So it's hard to say whether this is an actual problem or just a reporting problem. And until we hear from Apple or until we get data from other tools, it's really hard to say what's going on. But that's how I'm interpreting this. Uh, you know, so like I don't I don't have I don't have the other answers. What do you think, John? Um, I think I do have an answer. OK, so there's one number here and I believe what it's saying uh, indicates that there's no problem. So you see that in the reports that we have, there, there's a percentage of used figure. Yes. Um, from what I understand, so SSDs report a lifetime, and I believe that's what that number is. Okay. Now, it's interesting because when somebody brought up this issue, because of the way I interpreted it, I actually checked both of my Macs, both of which have SSDs, Dave, and my MacBook Pro, which is newer, uh, reports 100%, but check this out. I, I hadn't looked at the number lately on my Mac Mini. It now shows 99%. I've lost a percent in like three years of having this machine. So <laughs> wait, wait, but percent used should be like a hundred means it's done. If you're, it, it, uh, I, I think, I think what, what is, uh, I think what iStat menus is listing is the opposite of that number. If you see what I'm saying. Oh, you're seeing it in iStat menus, not in, not in SmartMon tools. Well, I see it in both, okay. but I think the number is being reported differently. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, got it. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the one that says percentage used 1% means that 99% of its life is it still left. Is still left. Yeah. And, and looking at those comparing on my 18 month old iMac and my four month old air, uh, my four month old air shows 0% percentage used and my 18 month old iMac shows 1% percentage used. So, mm -hmm. But again, like, you know, we're trusting the smart data coming from the drive, which is something that should be taken with a healthy number of grains of salt. All these things aren't necessarily gospel. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I my guess is we're going to find out this is much ado about nothing, but we should find out. And, and we're waiting to find out. We're waiting to hear from Apple is really mm -hmm. what it comes comes down to. So, oh, right. right? I mean, that, like. We we can sit here and guess all day long, but mm -hmm. it's truly all we're doing because we're trusting mm -hmm. smart data or the way smart data is interpreted. It, mm -hmm. and, and we shouldn't be because we've seen sensors like we've seen third party apps misinterpret sensors from the Macs all the time. Like iStat menus, I, I've seen this on my M1 air, but it's been reported by people on Intel Macs that Wi-Fi bandwidth reports often for some of us often reports as double what's actually happening. Right. And it's just getting this from the, the network device. Like it is just saying that, what does it say? I'm going to put it up there in the, in the, in the menu. So this is one of those things where it's like, eh, hmm, you know, like let's not, 
let's not trust the smart data too much. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we've been saying that on this show for a decade and a half, that smart data is suspect at best. It's non-optimal. You know, don't if it says your drive is fine, but you have other reasons to suspect it's not fine. Mm-hmm. Do not trust that the smart data says it's fine. Like, yeah. So. So that's where that's what I got. But, yeah, hopefully we get an answer from Apple at some point and um, and really are able to you know get to the bottom of this. So. All right. We got more. Um, oh, go ahead, John. Yeah. Well, also, if you have Drive DX, Drive DX is one of those programs that can actually look at multiple touch points and tell you if a problem yep. is there. So maybe give that a whirl. I like um, it. Like, like with my mom's machine, you know, smart said, yep, drive's fine. Right. <laughs> yeah. And as exactly. soon as I plugged it in, drive DX was like, no, it's, it's, it's almost dead. Yeah, that's true. I should reach out to the binary fruit guys and see what they say about this. That's, I hadn't thought to, to reach out to them. Uh, they may be saying something about it. They may. Yeah. It seems to be, uh. All anybody's talking about these days. Well, that's one of the things. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's an issue, it's an issue. That, but that's the question. The first question is, is it an issue? So, all right. We got more questions to go through is the question. Uh, I also have two more sponsors that I'd like to tell everybody about, if that's okay with you, Mr. Braun. Please do. All right. Next up is Audible at audible.com slash MGG, or you could text MGG to 500500. That's where you're going to go to sign up for Audible Plus, which gives you full access to Audible's huge plus catalog. So now you can listen to all you want to thousands and thousands of popular audiobooks, original entertainment, and podcasts, and even Audible exclusive series. You'll also find guided fitness, meditation, sleep tracks for better rest. All of these are available to download and stream so you can listen anywhere on any device. I had been reading a book called The Broker by John Grisham. You know, I I fancy myself a hack lawyer. Uh, That's proven to be true, in fact, (laughs) many times. Uh, Sometimes better than, sometimes with better results than others. But uh, I figured, well, you know, when I'm out driving in my car, which actually I've been doing a little bit more of lately, why not listen to this book that I've been reading in the car? So sure enough, I looked and there it was the broker in audible plus fantastic. It's just great to be able to interact this way. You know, this you're listening to a podcast. You understand the value of listening to spoken word content. And this is someone reading these books to you in a great way. So again, go check it out. Visit audible.com slash MGG or text MGG to 500500 and start digging in thousands of titles. Really great stuff. Our thanks to Audible for sponsoring this episode. Next up, Kitty Poo Club. I know, funny name, Great products and great service. It's this very cool thing. So you got to be a cat person, obviously. I'm a cat person. In fact, you know about our cats. Puck turned off the Wi-Fi a few episodes ago, and we had to fix that, right? So, like, you know, cats mean a lot to us here, and, and, and Puck apologizes for what he did. But Puck loves Kitty Poo Club. Seriously. Like, when the box arrived, he couldn't wait to get inside it. Because it's a cardboard box. Cats love cardboard boxes, but these are fantastic boxes. They're leak-proof, eco-friendly, and they have a fun design for every season. And then inside the box, 
came the litter that we chose to get with it. And we chose the organic soy litter. This is the best litter that we've ever used. It works so well. Our cats love it. We love it. You got to check this stuff out. Very cool. The, the way it all works, you know, you get this box, you put the litter in. When the month is up, you just recycle the box and Kitty Poo Club will automatically deliver a new one to you. So you don't have to change used litter. You don't have to clean the box. You just throw it away and new one. Good to go. So give yourself the gift that keeps on giving all year long a Kitty Poo Club subscription. Right now, Kitty Poo Club is offering you 20% off your first order when you set up auto ship by going to kittypooclub.com and using our promo code MGG. So again, kittypooclub.com, enter promo code MGG. That gets you 20% off when you set up auto ship. One more time, kittypooclub.com. And don't forget promo code MGG at checkout. Our thanks to Kitty Poo Club for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, you want to take us to Vashon? Is it Vashon or maybe VA Sean? I don't know. I think it's Vashon. Vashon. Okay. Yeah. Uh, question. I believe we solved my issue with what I now know as a potential LSD database corruption based on your last podcast <laughs> episode on the subject. It makes sense that I'm experiencing all the symptoms that were discussed. My issue is that using Onyx or Cocktail doesn't work for me because I'm blind and those apps are not accessible in the least. So shame on them. Um, Everything should be accessible. Um, I tried, uh, it's good for business. Um, I tried running a command line snippet that I got from the web and terminal said it isn't a good command. That's because you didn't come to us for the command. <laughs> um, what can I try or type in to fix my LSD database on my 2017 Mac? Um, all right, and then he, uh, I don't know if we'll do the Euro question, right? Okay, yeah. well, we'll do the first one here. Um, all right, Dave. Well, I did some poking around and I found it. Um, let me read it to you. System library. No, I'm not going to read the whole thing, <laughs> but I did find an article from our pals at Mac sales that gives you the two things you need to type into the terminal. So he got it from a less than reliable source because I tried this and it works great. Okay, great. Great. Yeah. So we'll link to both the, um, uh, Max sales article, and we'll also put the commands in the uh, in the show notes too, and mm -hmm. you know, as as code like we do sometimes there for us. So, yeah, yeah, good. So I had, yeah, I figured that, that somebody. I mean, it, it's really it's a really bizarre. I mean, you would never come up with this yourself. I mean, it's actually buried in a. Yeah, it's buried deep within the OS. You would it, never find it. It's on buried your. deep, and even when you get to the, I mean, the, the command you're running is ls register, but there's so many switches. There's one, two, three, four, five switches and three mm -hmm. parameters. So, yeah, you you want to copy paste this thing. You don't want to have to come up with it from whole cloth. <laughs> no, no, no. Cool, nice find, man. That's excellent. Great, great, great. Yeah, we should have included something like that in the last show. Uh, and I'm sorry that I'm shocked, in fact, that Onyx and Cocktail, are, well, at least one of them, is not um, accessible, especially Cocktail, because I think that's a for pay app. Like Onyx is free. So, uh, you know, I get it. Um, but yeah. All right. Uh, Larry has Larry had a problem. Uh, let me see if I can explain this. He says, uh, I've been having fun with my new iMac Pro. 
discontinued, by the way, or, or they're se- Apple selling the end of their stock on those, which they find fascinating and really exciting because I want an M1 Mac here in the studio. So that means that perhaps an M1 iMac is coming. Anyway, I digress. Uh, he says, I, I've been having fun with my iMac Pro with the onboard microphone uh, or using my Bluetooth headset for input. Everything was fine if it was just me. Then I wanted to impress my wife by doing one of those Zoom Geffen Stayhouse interactive productions. Those things are awesome, right? Uh, everything was cool with a big, nice screen until they went to test our audio and they could not really hear us because we had to sit a little bit further away from the screen to be comfortable. Needless to say, we won't be doing any more Zoom presentations on my iMac Pro with its built-in mic. That said, I still wanted to get some improved audio for it uh, just because it's a cool machine and deserves it. And I found the Shure MV5 and fell in love with its looks and its price. And the reviews were stellar. I bought one at Guitar Center and picked it up and came home and hooked it up to my hub and made a sample recording. It had good sound, but had an annoying fluttering sound in the background. I figured maybe I would be told that I didn't get enough power, so I tried it with a hub. Nothing. Couldn't figure it out. So what do you think? And we went back and forth on this. He sent a recording, which I'm about to play you, but he sent a recording. In fact, why don't we play this? Uh, Let's see. Make sure we got enough gain on this. Testing. Testing. Right. So he sent that recording. And I thought, you know, that sounds like some kind of electrical interference, John, because his voice is clear. It's not like distorted. It doesn't have that typical telltale crackle sound that happens when like the bit rate or sample rate is mismatched somewhere in the Mac. I did tell him to go mess with audio MIDI setup, which is an app on your Mac. Easier to find it with spotlight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's in applications utilities, but it, that I didn't expect that to solve anything. And it turns out I was exactly right. <laughs> However, John, he took it another step. He said, you know, I thought about your term electrical interference and it got me to thinking Seeing as how is this is a USB mic, I just figured it, that it was made to work with the computer, and therefore I put it in the most logical place, which is right in front of me, behind my keyboard, in front of my giant iMac Pro monitor. Gee, I thought to myself, says Larry, I'll bet there's a lot of electricity coming out of that monitor screen. So I moved it away from the screen, and let's play this. Testing one, two, three, testing one, two, three. And... Away from the monitor, testing one, two, three, testing one, two, three. Boom. So something in there was interfering with the microphone itself, or maybe the USB cable needs to be shielded. Uh, sometimes they, like, I've had microphones that come with uh, magnets on the USB cable to help, you know, presumably to help shield that. So that's that was the issue. Too close to the computer, I guess. What do you think, Yeah, John? it sounded like... Yeah, it sounded like RF to me, actually. Right. Well, because, well, you, you got part of it. I mean, RF, uh, another word for it is electromagnetic because there's an electrical part and a magnetic part. Right. But yeah, it sounded like, remember the the sound? Uh, it's been a while since I heard it, but uh, people with pagers, if they got too close to you, you would hear them on your phone because they, they would... I yeah. guess broadcast at a harmonic frequency or something. Yeah. That's what it sounded like at first. I'm like, you know, get, get your pager away. Yeah. Get your, get your phone away. Right. I mean, we get, if you put your phone next to or whatever radio, yeah. but yeah, it's a, it sounded like, uh, 
Or a monitor. Yeah. I mean, monitors generate RF too. Well, it, but it could, you might be right about it being a radio. I mean, if his keyboard is Bluetooth, so that's between the computer and mm. right. The key, you know, if you're putting the, the thing between the Bluetooth oh, yeah, keyboard, yeah, Bluetooth yeah. computer, but also if the computer's got Wi-Fi running or Bluetooth running that mm -hmm. depending on what it's doing and if it's perfectly placed or imperfectly placed, that might do it. So yeah, good. Um, Good so social thing. social distancing for your <laughs> computer accessories, I like it. yeah, or your computer environment, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just keep keep everything a, a good distance from everything else. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Looking around my office here, I certainly don't follow that advice. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Um, all right. So that's uh, we're you know we're knocking them down. This is good, Larry. I like it. Nice fix. And thanks for sending in the examples without hearing that. Like it's so hard. Yeah. 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 So nicely done. I assume you recorded that in QuickTime player. Uh, so there you go. All right. Will, uh, local consultant here in my area and a great guy to boot. Uh, he says, um, we now have seen a few M one Mac minis that don't like DVI or VGA monitors. Sometimes we'll see a snowy screen when connected. Sometimes you get weird squares floating like giant bad pixels. But he found a utility at displaylink.com that seems to fix this issue. So we will put a link to this in the show notes. But fascinating that, um, that this would work. I'm trying to pull it up. It's the DisplayLink Mac OS software. And it's the DisplayLink uh, graphics huh. connectivity manager. It's weird that this would work. To, I don't, I mean, I don't even know what it would be doing. Maybe it's, maybe it's changing the refresh rate uh, that's being sent to the screen. I wonder if something like screen res pro, what, what's the, how oh, I'm going to switch res switch yeah. res. That's it. Yeah. 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 Thanks. Switch, yeah. Res. switch res X. So I wonder if that would work. Display links, graphics, man, connectivity manager. Yeah. Okay. Weird. Weird. Thanks for sending that in. Um, Will, that's great. Oh man. I'm just trying to get the show, the thing in the show notes because you know, it's important that we get that stuff there, but yeah, we'll put a link to switch reds X in there too. I wonder if that's what's happening. I mean, I can't imagine what magic display link software would be doing uh, but that would be the key to figure that out. And, and I wonder if switch res 10 would do it. So maybe you can check that out for us. Well, huh. next time you see one of these and let us know. Uh, I should look at this just for kicks. Cause I'm running display link on one of my monitors and the other I'm doing. Uh, and I found it's a lot more responsive. If you have a choice between display link and uh, HDMI, uh, choose display link. You're talking about this. Hmm? I, I think you're confusing display link and display port. Ah, display port. Yeah. Yeah. Display link is a custom piece of um, stuff. It's not, yeah, it's not display port, but, but uh, say, say what you were, because display link is, I think is a USB. Um, let me look at their products, but because I know like M one max don't really support multiple monitors. Uh, but mm -hmm. what display link does is lets you create USB they've got a USB to HDMI uh, thing. Right, so you right. can add multiple monitors to your, uh, I see to okay. your, your Mac. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, it goes beyond the hardware limitations of your, of your Mac, uh, is what display link does, but you're right. Display port okay. tends to be a little more, 
uh, full featured, I would get, say, on many mm-hmm. Macs. Not all, but many Macs. Yeah, I just found it, it. The monitor like comes on almost instantly, whereas HDMI, they're doing some sort of security dance every time they have right. to talk to the monitor, right? That's true. HDCP. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that can cause some trouble. Yep, for sure. For sure. All right. All right. So. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Uh, all right. Um, so, but that is, that is the solution there. So, um, cause like Kelly Gumont wanted to have two external monitors on her M one MacBook pro. And she's like, I, I, you know, I, it won't work. It's not happening. I'm like, right. Yeah. Because according to Apple's tech specs, your MacBook pro supports two monitors total, one internal, and then one external. Uh, the same is true for the air. And then the mini is, it, it supports two monitors, one on the HDMI port and one via display port over one of the Thunderbolt slash USB-C uh, connections. So these are iPad Pros, right? Uh, as we were saying before, that's the closest thing to them. And they don't have the display hardware to support multiple monitors like, say, an older MacBook Pro would have. So, But Display Link will solve that problem for you. So, yeah, great. Good stuff. Anything more on that before we uh, before we move on here? I think we got time for one nope. more. Okay, great. Lynn mm-hmm. asks. Uh, Lynn asks. I know I had it up. No, I didn't have it up. Lynn asks how to. Um, do you know if it's possible to get a recorder that I could record audio from my computer and then somehow convert it to text to save on the computer? So she wants to transcribe audio. Um, I would do it with a tool called otter.ai. That's one of the ones that we've used for different shows. We haven't done transcriptions of Mac Geek Hub, though maybe we should. Uh, But uh, but otter.ai is great for transcribe. You just feed it an audio file. So go back in the episode, record the audio. This I would do with Audio Hijack or Piezo to get just the audio and then send that along. Uh, to otter.ai and it will do the transcription for you. Google also has a transcription engine that I believe is free and not quite as robust, but you could try that too. But um, otter otter transcription has been great for us. So, uh, and it's really relatively speaking inexpensive. So Uh, somebody in Rob video guy in the chat says, Simon says transcriptions. So I will put that in the show notes too. Go ahead, John. And don't forget there's a dictation in Mac OS. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I wonder how that would work. Right. And you know where it is? You fit, you figure this one out for me. So at least on, on this system in front of me, it's under keyboard. (laughs) <laughs> right click on keyboard and the rightmost tab is dictation and i haven't been here in a long long time and i don't think i've ever used it um but if you click on the menu you can identify the source of the audio so that's kind of handy oh nice so right now it's showing my board and it's bouncing around showing my levels but it also shows my thunderbolt 3 uh, my Logitech and Loopback, in addition to my board, as potential sources. So that's cool. Yeah, cool, cool. I think there's a limit, a time limit, on how long dictation will go, and I don't think it's very long. I think it's just a couple of minutes before dictation oh, right. stops, and then you have to kind of resume it 
if I'm if if memory serves, I don't think you can just prattle on for hours at dictation. At least that's how it used to be. But um, but yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Simon says dot AI. We'll put that in the show notes too. Thanks, Rob. Very good. Very good. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, I think that's going to be where we wrap it up, John. Unless you've got a quick one. But um, nope. I think that's where we're going to be for today. Thanks for hanging out with us, folks. Man, we got a, we got through a lot today. I, I feel like we were super efficient. I kind of like. Wow. I I I thought I thought it was the coffee. I did something different this time, John. I I mixed other than our quick tips and cool stuff found. I mixed everything else together, and sort of organized by topic, but not even really. I mean, sort of, but really just kind of going back and forth. Tips, questions, all of it, and it mm-hmm. to me it felt. Like we flowed more smoothly, but it could be, you know, the ginseng tea that I had or something. So you let us know. Yeah. Yeah. We we told you earlier how to find us. You, you know, you can call us at, uh, I almost said the old phone number, John, at 224-888-GEEK, which, John, is? 4335. Yeah. And you can also leave us comments via the Mac Geek Gab app, which is free for your iPhone, your iPad, and yes, your M1 Mac. So, uh, so you can find that in the app store too, or you can find us, uh, tell them about Twitter, John, they know they can find us on Twitter. Twitter. He is Dave Hamilton. I am John F. Braun. There's Mac Geek Ab, There's Mac Observer and there's Pilot Pete. That's all on Twitter. Sweet. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks to all of our premium subscribers who have, uh, have well, thanks to all of you who are our premium subscribers. You can learn more about that, of course, at uh, macgeekab.com slash premium. But it really is just a way for those of you who can and wish to support us directly to do that. Um, and it really does make a difference here. I want to thank those of you whose premium subscriptions uh, have renewed or who you've made them in the last week here. So thanks to Stephen from Costa Mesa, Everett from, well, it says Marina, but I think you're in Colorado now. Patrick from Shreveport, Olga from Bellevue, Clifton from Newhall, Jason from Charlestown, Matt from Midlothian. I love saying that. Bruce from uh, somewhere. Eric from Trondheim, Jonathan from Tempe, Robert from Oro Valley, R. John from Houston, Daniel from London, Jeff from uh, Parts Unknown, Douglas from, well, it's classified, Larry from Alpharetta, Paul from Fishers, Mark from Milford, Anthony from Ride, Eric from Albuquerque, Drake from Honolulu, Joe uh, from, well, it's a secret, uh, Neil from West Hartford, and Lou from Albuquerque. Thanks so much to all of you. You rock. And uh, and we'll see you next week. Make sure to uh, check out our sponsors for sure. You can see that them at uh, MacGeekUp.com slash sponsors. Uh, but also, you know, as we mentioned in the show, Babbel.com with promo code MGG, Barebones.com, Audible.com slash MGG, or text MGG to 500-500. You know, you can also text us at, uh, at that 224-888-GEEK number. Try that if you like. And, of course, Kitty Poo Club with promo code MGG. Puck! gives it his paw of approval. Oh, I really don't think he said sorry. I don't really think he apologized, though. Oh, he felt terrible. <laughs> he felt so bad. <laughs> he felt, yeah. How do he, you know? He likes to be a good boy. He doesn't, yeah. He, he doesn't like it when he does something wrong. <laughs> he was just curious. You know, he's Puck. Um, What do we say to Puck 
for the next time, John? What is that thing that we say? Um, I don't know if uh, this will, will work for Puck, but uh, Puck, don't get caught. Made up.